This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Alrighty, welcome everybody. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Tonight we are learning Eluni Shmat, Rabbi Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, and Rechaskel ben Rabbi Avram. Before we begin, just a quick uh, announcement uh, with the war in Gaza, you know, continuing. Um, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi just sent me something today and I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, he's powering through one after another, one, pumping out one, one thing after another. So, uh, um, he also does the, the aspect of an adopt a hostage where you could dive in for a hostage. But now there's something else that's new that's called, um, nationpause.org. Uh, so it's N-A-T-I-O-N-O-N. P-A-U-S-E dot org, and that is where you can do, let's say, you know, keep a Shabbos for a particular hostage, meaning that you could do other mitzvot, you could do other, other, uh, you could give other schlussim to, for this, uh, for the hostages. So for people that are maybe not fully there yet, they want to take up on something, go visit this, uh, website and see what, uh, what you can do. But okay. Now to the topic at hand. So there was once this, a uh, priest and a rabbi that had a very, very good uh, uh, relationship. And the, the rabbi would teach the priest a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things. But the one thing that he would not teach the priest is Gemara, the Talmud. And the priest was very bothered by it. And he's like, it kept on going over to the rabbi. You got to teach me the Talmud. You got to teach me Gemara. Why don't you teach me Gemara? And the rabbi kept on saying, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't learn the Talmud. And then finally the priest went and pressured him. And he says, you, you have to, you have to teach me the Talmud. And the rabbi said, what can I tell you? He says, you're, you're a non-Jew. A non-Jew doesn't have the capabilities to be able to understand the Talmud. So the rabbi said, but you're pressuring me so much. You're asking me so often. I'll tell you what. I'll ask you a question. If you get this question right, then I will teach you the Talmud. But if you get it wrong, then you drop it. And the priest said, fine. You got yourself a deal. So the rabbi goes and says, there are two people walking. <clears throat> and they both fall into a ditch. One comes out clean, the other comes out dirty. Who is going to wash themselves and who is not going to wash himself? So the priest doesn't have to think for this one. This one's fairly straightforward. He says, very simple. So the dirty one will wash themselves. The clean one are not going to wash himself. So the rabbi goes over to the priest and says, you see, I told you, you don't have the capabilities to, to, to be able to, uh, to go and learn Gemara. You can't answer a simple question. The rabbi goes on and explains. He says, you know what's going to happen? He says, the dirty one is going to come out. He's going to look at the clean one. And he's going to think that he is clean also because the other guy is clean. The clean one is going to go look at the dirty one and he's going to be like, well, you know, I must be dirty also. So the clean one will go wash himself off because he thinks that he's dirty. The dirty one will think that he is clean because he looked at a clean guy and he won't wash himself off. And that is the answer. So the priest thinks about it. He says, you know what? You're right. You got me in that one. He says, Dude, one more chance. Give me one more chance. So the rabbi says, fine, I'll give you another chance. And the priest says, go for it, I'm ready. And the rabbi goes and says, there are two people walking on the road. Both of them fall into a ditch. One comes out dirty, the other comes out clean. Who is going to wash themselves off and who are who is not going to wash themselves off? So the priest says, very simple. So the dirty one is going to look at the clean one. And he's going to think that he is clean, so the dirty one's not going to wash himself off. The clean one is going to look at the dirty one, and he's going to think that he is dirty, so the clean one's going to wash himself off, and the dirty one won't wash himself off. Oh. And the rabbi said, you see, how am I supposed to teach you? You said, you don't know the simple answer of simple questions. How am I supposed to teach you the Gemara? So the priest said, what do you mean? He says, I just answered you the question. And the rabbi said, no, of course that's not the answer. So the dirty one is going to look into the mirror and he's going to see that he's dirty and he's going to wash himself off. And the, and the, and the clean one is going to look into the mirror and he's going to see that he is clean. So he's not going to wash himself off. So the priest said, okay, one more chance. Come on, you got to get final offer. Like, give me one more shot. I'll get this. And if I don't get this, I'll never ask you again. So the rabbi says, okay, fine. And the rabbi goes and says, there are two people walking in the road. One, they both fall into a ditch. One comes out clean. One comes out dirty. Who washes themselves and who does not? So the rab, so the priest says, very simple. And this is the priest says that if there is a mirror, then the clean one is not going to wash himself, and the dirty one is going to wash himself. 
But if there's no mirror, then the clean one is going to look at the dirty one. The dirty one is going to look at the clean one. And each one is going to think the opposite of what they are. And hence, the clean one is going to wash himself off because he's going to look at the dirty one. The dirty one is not going to wash himself off because he's going to look at the clean one. And the rabbi says, I give you three chances. He says, how am I supposed to go and teach if you can't get a simple question? And the priest says, what do you mean? He says, I answered the question. And the rabbi says, no, you want to know what the right answer is? And the priest says, yes, what's the right answer? And the rabbi goes, and says, how is it possible that two people fall into the same ditch and one comes out clean and the other one comes out dirty? And this is the story of life. The story of life is that we think we got life. We think we understand it. We think we know the answers to everything. And then all of a sudden we learn a new lesson. And then we're like, okay, now, now we got it. And then all of a sudden we learn a new lesson in life. And now we're like, okay, now we got it. And then we learn a new lesson and we realize that all the two previous lessons and when we thought we got it, we really never got it to begin with. See, life is full of layers. And when we think we know the answers, many times we really don't. And this you see sometimes, you, you, you know, you, you meet people, you speak to people, and they have a question, they have an issue, they have a dilemma. And sometimes the solution is right there. It's like right there in front of them. And you tell it to them, very simple, straightforward, this is what you have to do. And sometimes they just don't get it. Like the lesson is right there and they just don't get it. And I, it happens so often to me where I, like it's, sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's not so clear, but sometimes it's very clear. And you're like, this is such, so clear the solution. And they seem to like not get it. And then I was starting to think, you know, as I was preparing this class, be like, you know, maybe I am also like that. Maybe sometimes I have an issue that I just can't figure out and the solution is sitting right in front of me and I just don't get it and we just don't see it. It's one of the benefits of speaking to other people because they look at things from a different angle. But if we look into our life, many times we have lessons that are coming to us. Lessons that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us, that God is sending us and telling us this is where you need to be. This is the right solution. And this, if you do this, you can improve your life so drastically, so radically. You could be, you could have so much of a better life. But sometimes we're blinded. We can't, we can't see it. We don't notice it. And that's really what the goal and focus that I would like to try to do tonight with Hashem's help. And that is, there are two aspects of lessons that come to us. One, there's an aspect that there's like, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of, of, of figuring it out just until, you know, the lesson comes. But there are other times where the lesson is very, very obvious. Where Hashem sends a message again and again and again and again. Like Paro, Hashem keeps on sending in the same message. Let the people go. Let the people go. Let the people go. If you're not, it's going to be bad. And bad happens. And he doesn't. And if you're not, it's going to be bad. And bad. And he doesn't. Like the lesson is right there in front of him. And then you, we really, if that comes to our, to our table, we really got to go and open our eyes and be like, okay, you know, we got to listen to these, to these messages. So, in order to uncover this, I would like to go through six lessons from the Torah, from these, actually these parshias, on how we're going to go and improve our life. Now, you can get one of these, you can get six of them, you can get half of them, or even if you get none of them, you will probably gain something from this class, as long as you take away a little aspect. There will be tons and tons of lessons that we can learn from the Torah. And that really is the beauty of the Torah. There are so many layers of lessons that you can learn. And you could you could have one issue in your life and you look into the Torah and all of a sudden you'll see so many different solutions to it. So I'd like to take uh, take take this task on to try to go and uncover six different lessons that we can learn to improve our life, to be able to learn these lessons, to be able to see these lessons, and to be able to make a change into our own lives for that. So we have to start with lesson number one. And this really is a prerequisite to any of the changes that happen, not only in this particular topic, but in any topic, any change that you want in your life. The Parshas Shemos, in the beginning of Parshas Shemos, the Torah tells us, This is referring to Moshe Rabbeinu's parents, that there was a man from the house of Levi. He went and he took a, a woman from the daughter of Levi. What happened is the Gemara and Sota and page 12 explains to us and tells us that Amram and Yocheved, his wife, they saw what was happening with 
all the babies in uh, the the Jewish uh, baby boys in the land of Egypt. And what what Pharaoh was doing, he was going and he was killing all Jewish babies and all the boys. So they said, what is the point? We we do all this and we toil for nothing. Why should we have children? So they separated. Now, Amram, he was a Gadol Dar. He was the leader of the generation. And when the leader of the generation does something, people follow suit. And people started, you know, separating also from their wife because they said, really, why, are we going to bring people, kids into this world only to that they will be, uh, they will be killed? So his daughter came over to him, Miriam, his daughter came over to him, Moshe's sister. And she says, your decrees are worse than Paro's. Paro only decreed on the boys. You're decreeing on the boys and the girls because now the girls also can't come into, into this world. And then she continues and she says, furthermore, your decree, that Paro's decree is just on this world. But your decree is on this world and on the next world. Because when the soul, when a neshama, when a soul comes down into this world, even if it doesn't make it and it doesn't, it, it gets killed, there's still a tick into that neshama. So you're preventing that fixing of that soul, of that neshama for coming down into this world. So Amram, Moshe Rabbeinu's father, took Miriam's advice and remarried his, his wife, Yocheved. Now, if you think about this, this seems like, okay, a nice mature discussion between a daughter and a father to go and to figure out, you know, like what, and you know, she pro- she proves her point, and he went and uh, he took her advice. But when we put in just one little bit of information, this puts a twist on this whole story, and that is, do you know how old Miriam was at the time? She was five years old at the time. She was a little child. Now, what happens when you have a leader of generation and you have a five-year-old come over to him and be like? Daddy, Tati, Abba, you know what you're doing maybe is not so okay because X, Y, and Z, and she's giving, you're like, okay, you know, like, let the grown-ups do their work. But Amram over here, the leader of the generation, and the leader of the generation, and of probably one of the most, if, the, if not the most difficult time to be a leader of the Jewish people, where people are just being murdered left and right, and there's almost nothing that can be done. So you have this little girl that's coming in and be like, well, I have some advice. What happens when you're extremely, extremely, uh, you know, like, like busy? And and there's so much on the on the line, and then a little child comes and gives you advice. You'd be like, "Okay, thank you very much. Let me try to focus." And you know, like, not now. You know, like, come to daddy when daddy's you know, more relaxed. Like now is not the time. But Amr was not like that. He heard her, his advice from his five year old daughter. You know what that means? That is a, that is a lesson of humility. You have to have such a level of humility that you can go and gain advice for in such a hectic time from just, from a five year old. And that is the first lesson, and that is a prerequisite for any change. You want to be able to change in your life. The first step is you have to know that you have to have humility. If you don't have humility, you're going to be stubborn, you're going to be arrogant, you're going to stick to your guns, whatever the situation is, then guess what? You're not going to change. Change is not going to, you're not going to be able to see the lessons in life. You're not going to be able to think that anything you're doing is wrong. If you want to be able to open your eyes and see the improvements that you can make in your life, the first thing that you have to do, the first thing that you have to realize, the first thing that you have to work on is your humility. And that is lesson number one. Lesson number two is to realize that you don't know everything. And this may come as a shock to many people. You know, a little child, when they're five, six years old, and they're able to string some sentences together, when they're able to read a little bit, they think they got it at this point, right? And then they learn a little bit more, and they're like, okay, but now I understand everything. Like, now I know just as much as my parents, right? Forget about when a teenager comes into being. You know, like, when when a teenager comes, they definitely feel like, okay, I understand the whole, I understand more than my parents. I understand more than my teachers. I know everything. And this is the, the path that we take in life, that we come to a stage in our life and we're like, yeah, but I know better than you, but I know more, but I know everything and you don't really know. And this is why I do what I, what I do. This is the, the, the idea that we don't know everything is an extremely, extremely important, also prerequisite to be able to change. In Parshas Kisisa, the Torah tells us in Shemais chapter 33 verse 13, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu goes over to HaKadosh Baruch goes over to God and says teach me your ways show me your ways what was Moshe Rabbeinu asking God Moshe Rabbeinu the Gemara, te- the Gemara tells us in Brachos page 7a that Moshe was Rabbeinu was asking the age old question that why is it that so many righteous people suffer why famous question why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people 
Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to know the ways of the world. You know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered? You know what God answered? God answered, A person cannot see me and live. Meaning that you can't begin to understand my ways. We are only but a little blimp in the big picture of everything. Of the of the whole history of the world. We're a tiny little blimp over here. You're not going to be able to understand it. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, You could see my back, but my front you can't see. The Gemara Brachas tells us, that Moshe, Akedush Baruch Hu showed Moshe Rabbeinu the tefillin knot on behind his head. Now I heard this beautiful idea from um, Rabbi Yitzchak Breidowitz that, you know, we look at the tefillin straps. You have the tefillin straps, they go in the front and one is longer than the other. And you think they come from two different, uh, two different sources, two different, uh, two different, uh, uh, um, cores, or two, after all, they're two different straps. And you can look at one, and the long one is like the good, and the short one is the bad, or vice versa, it doesn't matter. But you look at two different lengths of the, of the straps. But when you turn around, you see they all stem from one point. They all stem from one source. They all have that, they all come and connect at the same central point. And this is the idea by Shema. Shema, when we say Shema, we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. We use two names of God. One is Elokeinu, that is Din, that is judgment, that is the strict aspect, the strict identity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then you have the, the Shem Havaya, the Shem Yudke Vavke, which is the name of mercy. So we use two very, very opposite character, very opposite names, one of mercy and one of judgment. And we're saying this in Shema, that what that Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. What that means is, is that sometimes you see a God of just of judgment, and sometimes you see a God of mercy, just know they all come from one point, they all stem from one source, from one origin. And that is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed him, the, the knot on, on the back of, of, of his, of his of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's head. We're not like Baruch Hu wears tefillin also. And Kedush Baruch Hu showed him the knot of the tefillin. And this is what when we sometimes we look at life and we see one person is doing, is, is great. He has a long string and one is not doing so good. And it looks like one is mercy and one is judgment. It looks like one is something that is difficult and one is something that is, that is great. But when we turn, when I, when you turn around, you see that it all stems from one point. It all stems from one source, from one origin. Meaning that sometimes like Moshe Rabbeinu asked the Kedush Baruch Hu, how why is it, why is it that, bad, that good people have it difficult? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, sometimes you see my judgment. Sometimes you see my mercy. But no, whichever way you see, it all stems from one point, from Echad, from one source, from one, from one, from one, from one origin. And that is lesson number two. Lesson number two is to realize you don't know everything. Slash anything, if we can say that, right? You don't know anything, right? Sometimes you look at something that looks bad, and sometimes you look at something that looks good, but you don't really know the actual, the actual outcome of what it will produce. If it really is bad, if it really is good, and that's why Kedush Baruch Hu showed him that it's all connected, it's all one source, it all comes from one origin. Going on to lesson number three. Lesson number three is a, is, is a bonus lesson. It's a lesson that I wasn't sure if I should uh, put in here, but once we're speaking about tefillin, there's an important aspect that we can learn, uh, you know, from the tefillin. And, you know, there are times in the Torah that God complains to Moshe Rabbeinu that the Jewish people are amkshe oirif. Amkshe oirif means that they're very stubborn. They're stiff-necked people. They're stubborn people. And it's a complaint. But at the same point in time, the ability of of Jewish survival. The fact that the Jews still are around today is because they are Amkshe Arif. They are a stubborn people. The fact that we are stubborn works to our benefit and the fact that we are stubborn works to our, you know, to, to, to the negative. And this is another thing when we look at the tefillin. The tefillin is put by the base of the neck, by the by the base of the head, which is by the neck. Amkshayayuf means a stiff neck. A stiff neck. What does that mean? That means that there are times that just like there is good and there's mercy and there's judgment. There's something that looks positive and something that looks negative. There are times when it's good to be stubborn, and there are times when it's bad to be stubborn. So how are you going to be able to navigate when to be good, when to be bad? So if you are connected to that one origin, to then you have the ability to use that stubbornness for the good or to use that stubbornness for the bad. But if you have that inherent you know, stubbornness trait and you just utilize it at your whim, you are, if you're not connected to that one source, if you're not connected to if you're not connected to God, then you're, 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 
character trait of stubbornness can work for the negative. And this is a lesson for our character traits. Every single one of us has positive and negative character traits. And that's how we see them. We see this is my positive and this is my negative. But the reality of it is that really you could turn everything into positive. Every character trait, even if it appears negative, you have the ability to utilize it for the positive. We have so many strengths. We have so many weaknesses that we don't realize that weakness is a strength. Like when you look at stubbornness, you'd be like, there is no positive in stubbornness. When you look at, you know, like the, this, the, the, even, even, uh, uh, the idea of atheism, there is a positive aspect for that. And we spoke about this where if you have somebody who's coming to collect charity from you, you shouldn't say God will help you. Be like, no, no, no. At that point in time, you should say, no, well, God is not going to help you. Only I could help you. There is an aspect of every, and again, that doesn't mean that you should be an atheist and say, I don't believe in God. Only I could do anything, but it's a, it's a, a positive aspect of, of any negative trait can be turned positive. And this all depends on where the source and where your origin is. If you're able to tie yourself to God, if you're able to connect yourself to then you're able to take all your character traits and you're able to utilize even what appears to be bad to be really good. So you want to be able to go and to see the lessons in life and you want to be able to go and understand the, 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 you know, the, what, what God is sending you, what the lessons and what, where you should direct your life. You have to realize we have so many powers. We have so many strengths that we have over here, but we have to uncover it. And we uncover it the way that we, that just like by the Tzfilin, that you have to be connected. If you are connected to God, you're able to go and utilize even the negative traits for the positive. Now, this is something that comes with a caveat. This is something that comes with a, with a, with a warning label. Because there are some people that they think that they're doing something for God. And in, and in an essence, they're really doing something very, very bad. And I don't want to go into examples, but there are many things uh, um, that that we can get into. But it will be it will be too too far off topic. But the point is is that it is always very much recommended to speak to a rabbi, to speak to a mentor, speak to your rabbis and whoever it is, to be able to guide you in utilizing this. I have to give you one example because it's hard to. So let's say you have someone who is a bal tshuva comes in. And they come in, many Balchuvas come in with a very strong hand. It's my way or the highway. You have to listen to whatever Akadish Baruch Hu says, otherwise you're done and, and, and there's abuse that comes after it. Now sometimes it's necessary that way and many times it's not necessary that way. And you have to be able to know how to navigate it. And there are many people that are raised in a Balchuva home that can come out in a very negative outcome. So you have, it's a delicate balance where you have to be able to go and figure out if your strength or if you even if you're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you're utilizing it the right way and not abusing it. But in any case, this is a bonus lesson number three. You could uh, take it or leave it. Probably should take it. But in any case, going on to lesson number lesson number four. So, and then we'll tie this all together. Lesson number four is that, you know, most of us on planet Earth, we, we play what is called the short game and not the long game. Let me explain to that. I'll explain to you with, with, you know, through Paro. Paro in the Maka of Dever, the, the, the plague of pestilence. Moshe Rabbeinu warns, warns Paro that there's going to be a very, very severe epidemic. And the livestock of the Jewish people are not going to die. The, the, the epidemic is only going to affect the livestock of the Egyptian. And it occurred exactly as Moshe Rabbeinu predicted. All the Egyptian livestock died, but the Jewish livestock, none of them died. And the next Pasuk, after it explains this to us, tells us something very interesting. And Paro sent, and behold, very interesting word, and behold, none of the cattle, none of the livestock of the Jewish people, none of them died. What was the behold? Like he was like, oh, he was like, oh, look, his, what was his reaction? His reaction was, his, like the the Egyptian livestock died out. The Jewish livestock is still around. And what, what his option was like, oh, look, the Jewish people, they still have cattle. Paro became stubborn. You know why he became stubborn? Because that one, there was no food, right? All the animals died. But then he looks over and he sees, wait a minute, the Jewish people, they still have the cattle, they still have the animals, they still have the food. So it's great. I still have an option. Meaning that he refused to see the hand of God. The lessons that God sent him, 
He refused to say, he refused, he says, I have a way out. I can buy from the Jews. I can take from the Jews. So I have a way out. And this is the attitude of the wicked. This is the attitude of Paro. You know, Asaph, on a similar, uh, um, on a similar term, he went and he sold his birthright for, for Yaakov for a meal. That's all he sold it for, for just a simple meal. Why? Because he said, sell, sell it to me, Kayyim, like, t- like it is today. The Savorno goes and explains that he, Asaph's living was just for today. I'm not looking at the long term. I'm not, Paro was like, okay, well, what's gonna happen eventually? He wasn't looking about that. But like, right now, I'm okay. Right now, I have the ability to be able to go and to be able to buy my livestock. I'll be able to buy my food. I can be able to buy my meat from the Jews. So I'm okay. Asaph said, what's gonna happen when, when his father Yitzhak Avino is gonna die and he's gonna want to have Yerusha? That's then. But I'm, I'm playing the short term games. Like, what do I have right here, right now? When we look at the short term picture, when we look at the short term things of what's coming up in our lives, we decide that this is going to be our our goal. And we focus short term. We don't focus on on the long term. And this we see this all over the place. You have people that are screaming ceasefire in Israel and the Gaza war. They're screaming, uh, you know, ceasefire because why they don't want people to die or whatever. I mean, it's an idiotic thing to, you know, to, to scream, but we're not going to get into that. I think we spoke plenty of that. But the idea of saving lives by making a ceasefire is the most ignorant thing possible. It has absolutely no stance of which, because what would really happen if you make a ceasefire now, all that's going to mean is that they're going to arm themselves against Hamas, they're going to come back, and there's going to be another war, and another war, and another war. And in the long term, there is going to be so much more death than if you just finish off it right now. If someone takes a cancer, cancerous cell or whatever it is, and kills it off 60% and then stops, and then kills it 60% and then stops, what's going to happen? The cancer is just going to keep on growing and you have to keep on fighting it. What the correct way to fight a cancer, and yes, Hamas is a cancer, you have to go and you have to destroy it completely. And once it's destroyed completely, then you can focus on the healing and then you can focus on the growth and then you don't have to focus on there won't be any more death. So if you look at the short-term girl goal, be like, okay, no more death, ceasefire, we have to stop it. But if you look at the long-term goal, then you have to say, okay, you have to destroy the cancer and then you would be able to ceasefire and then you'll be able to go and have that growth that healing aspect to it and in general this is you know like when people go and they focus on the short-term goals in life they are usually not as successful as the people that are able to focus on both the short term and the long term. Because that's really what we do need to do. We have to focus on the short term goals and the long term goals. And this goes to anything in life, you know. You have people that join into the Kirov movement, right? They want to go and they want to be Mikhaev. They want to bring people closer to God. So they start off and then maybe they speak to one person. They bring people in for Shabbos. Maybe they even start giving a class. But they don't see so much movement. They don't see that they're making so much an effect. So what happens? They stop. And they're like, hey, what's the point? I didn't do it. They were looking at the short term. They were looking, thinking that I'm going to speak to one person and that person's going to change their life and become religious. And then I'm going to keep on doing that and be like, you know, like I'll spend an hour with one, with each person and they'll change their life. And we all know that's not how the world works. That's not how people work. You give a class here. You speak to someone here. You go over here. And slowly, slowly, as you go through the long-term goals in it, you will see success in what you're doing. But if you focus on the short-term, you'll give up. This is where you see there's a lot of, there's a very high turnover in, in, in certain careers, certain careers that could be very lucrative. You have careers in real estate and finance, in mortgages, careers that can be very lucrative, but people come in and they see that they're not making any money. They're not closing any deals. They're not able to, you know, so they're like, okay, you know, like short term, I'm not making anything. So they, they, they stop and they, and they, uh, and they switch careers. And these careers have very high turnover rate. But if someone sticks through, and of course, that's not the only factor. You actually have to go and make sure that you are fit for that uh, type of uh, job. But if you only if you go and you tr- and you try to uh, uh, you know to, to to get a sale and you don't get it and you keep on trying and eventually you succeed, the long term you'll be able to be very successful. But the problem is that people focus on short term, and when people focus on short term, 
and they don't see the long term, then things in your life, you're not going to see that way either. If you have a certain focus in your life, you're able to see something very, very differently. If you, let's say, let's say somebody wasn't able to see, and then all of a sudden they had a surgery and they, and the Baruch Hashem, they were able to see. They are going to notice things that people that were always able to see, not able to, never noticed before. They're able to see the colors of the trees. They're able to see the, the, even garbage. They'll be able to appreciate it. They're able to see things. Why? Because they have a different mentality that they're looking for. So when we have a short-term mentality, we will only look for and hence see short-term lessons that we may be able to change, but we won't look at the long-term lessons. We won't look at the long. Someone's having a difficult marriage. They'll be like, okay, if I'm going to go to one or two like you know marriage counseling sessions, it's not going to help. It's not. But if you look at the long-term, if you're able to go through it and through years of counseling, years of therapy, years of changing, you'll be able to make something that will be a beautiful, beautiful relationship. You don't look so far, so you're not going to be able to even begin it. So you don't even see it. So meaning that if... We have only short-term goal vision. We will only see the short-term lessons that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees, shows us. But if we're able to have short-term goals and long-term goals, then we'll be able to see what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us and we'll be able to uncover so many more lessons that are just right in front of our life. And, you know, like an example is like, let's say someone's living in a place that's not conducive to raise a Jewish family. Not, not, not great to raise a Jewish family. And they are like, okay, but you know, like right now it's like, okay, for what? Cause my, our kids are young or our, I don't have kids yet or whatever the situation is. And you start focusing just on that. But if you're stuck, wait a minute, like, if I'm going to move eventually, and if I want to build, the, you know, like my family to go a certain way eventually, then you start looking for, to, you know, to move at a much earlier stage than if you would have started only once that stage comes in. Meaning that if you had that long-term goal, you would start, your eyes would start being pierced. Okay, like, or your ears be like, okay, where should I go? You'll start seeing things differently. You'll start realizing lessons differently because your goals, your mentality is very, very different. Moving on to the next lesson, and that is that this actual lesson is a combination. It's, uh, you know, going to combine, you know, lesson number two, that you realize you don't know anything, and the this current lesson, lesson number five, and that is that everything that a Kaddish Baruch Hu does is for is for the best, and then we'll see how it affects the lessons of our of our life. So in parts of Aira, Moshe, the, the Moshe Rabbeinu goes and tells and tells you know Hakadosh Baruch Hu, um, uh, kind of complains uh, you know to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and 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 God answers and responds back. That you know, uh, let me read the pasuk because it'll be a little bit clearer. There, El Avram, El Yitzchak, Vel Yaakov. I showed myself to Avram, to Yitzchak, to Yaakov, Bekel Shakai, with the name Kel Shakai, Ushmi Hashem, and the the, the name Yudke Vavke, the name of mercy, Loinadati Lehem. I was it was not known to them. So the background to this is Moshe Rabbeinu had a complaint to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, to God, and God responded, I. Showed myself to Avram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And I used the name Kel Shakai. I didn't use the name of mercy, and they never complained to me. And the Medrash goes on to explain that, you know, I promised Avram Avinu the entire land of Israel. Yet, he couldn't even find the place to bury his wife until he had to pay a high burial, a high price for a burial cave. And guess what? He never complained. And uh, then Akadish Baruch says, Yitzhak. Yitzhak, I told him also that he's going to live in this land. Yet, he could not find any ne- the necessity of, of water. He couldn't find drinking water unless he had to hassle over some, some wells. Yet, he also never complained. And then I came over to Yaakov. And I promised Yaakov the entire land of Israel also. And he couldn't even find a place to put his tent until he bought a place from Hamar ben Shechem. And Yaakov never questioned me. But you, Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you have a complaint. You have a complaint. And we have to ask, wait a minute. There is a difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, they had personal issues. 
you know, he couldn't find water. They had issues with water. He couldn't find a place to bury Why? It was all his personal issue. Moshe Rabbeinu was not complaining for himself. He was not complaining, I have to wake up so early and I have to work so hard for all these Jewish people. That was not his complaint. His complaint was, <coughs> the Pasuk in Shemais, chapter 5, verse 22, tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu's complaint is, He was standing up for the people. He says, God, why did you did? Why did you harm these people? Why did you cause bad to these people? That was his complaint. So we have to understand there's a very, very big difference over here by, the, by, by Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and the complaint of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, why do you harm these people? He's standing up for the people, for, for, uh, for the Jewish people. And Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov never had to, 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 to fight for the Jewish people, per se. They had their own issues and they were able to, you know, deal with it. So what is the reason? What is the reason that God said, why are you complaining? They never complained to me. And the answer is, it's because of the language that Moshe Rabbeinu used. Moshe Rabbeinu used the language, and the word is bad. Why, from the, the Shorosh is ra, ra, bad. Why did you cause bad to this people? And that is the problem. Because God never does something bad. That is what it was wrong. And, and, and Akadish Baruch Hu was going and telling him, he says, when I showed myself to Avram Yitzhak, I didn't use the name of mercy, and yet they never said I did anything bad. And with you, I showed you the name of mercy, and you still think that there's something bad that's coming out of it? And we see the same lesson that happens by Yaakov. When Yaakov met Paro, Paro asked him, how, what was Yaakov's age? And the Pasuk in Barashas, chapter 47, verse 9, tells us, Shloishu mume'as shana, 130 years, 30 years, few and ra'im is bad. The Medrash says that the moment that Yaakov you know, used the words bad, HaKadosh Baruch says, oh, you're complaining that it's bad? Your, years are, your life will be shortened by the number of words in your statement. But the question that could be asked, like, wasn't Yaakov right? Like, he did, you know, like, he lost, you know, like, his wife. And then his, you know, his son Yosef was lost. And Dina was captured by Shabbat. There's like, Yaakov, you know, did have a difficult life. And Yaakov's life could have been bad, could have been, not bad. It was bitter, but it was not bad. That was the difference. The di- there's a difference of difficult and versus bad. means that you th- it's bad. You know what? Three psukim later, the Torah tells us, Vaidaber Elohim, the name of justice, El Moshe, Vayemer Elav Ani Hashem. I am Hashem. Akadish Baruchu uses both those words, Vaidaber Elohim, the, the name of justice, the name of judgment, El Moshe Vayomer Elav Ani Hashem, I am also the name of mercy, meaning just like in Shema, this is why I connected to lesson number two, Shema Yisrael Hashem Anakin Hashem Echad, both what you see that is looks strict, and both what you see is looked like it's mercy, it all comes from one source, it all comes from, from, from the, the, the origin of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. and that is only good, there is no bad. And this is something that Moshe went on to teach the Jewish people. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu taught, wrote Megillahs for the Jewish people. What are the Megillahs? So um, the Gemara in Bava Basra tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu authored some of the capital Tehillim, some of the chapters of Tehillim is, was written by Moshe Rabbeinu. And one of them is uh, chap- Tehillim uh, chapter 92. 92 is Mizmer Shir Liyamashapis. And the, the, uh, you know, the Gemara tells us that this is, they used to say this on Shabbos. But this was the capital, Mizmer Shiliyam Shabbos. It starts with, It's, you know, it's good to give thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to sing, to sing Hashem's name. But going on into the eighth Pasuk, to the eighth verse of that capital Tehillim, it says, That the wicked flourish like grass. What does that mean, the wicked flourish like grass? The Jewish people were sitting in Mitzrayim. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu wrote to the Jewish people while they were sitting in Israel. Right? They were sitting in Egypt. They were having very, very difficult time. They were having difficulty. They were looking and be like, why is so much bad happening to us? We're the good guys. The Egyptians, they're the bad guys. So why is it that good, that, that bad things are happening to good people? And look at the bad. The bad people are having, are having success. And this is the, this is the, 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 the Helen that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote to them. This is what they read. They read over there, and in fact, the Rashi over there, Befarach Rashi Kumayesev, tells us that 
uh, the, the 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 explanation of that is that and Rashi says it over there. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu pays the wicked people in their face, meaning in this world, to go and destroy them. Meaning that anything good that they did, they get the payment over here. Meaning that Moshe Rabbeinu is telling that he learned this lesson. He's telling this to the Jewish people. He says, "You don't. We don't know the full picture." Everything is for the best. Everything is for the, you know, is, is, is for the best. And this is, how do we see that? We see how this chapter of Tehillim begins. This chapter of, of Tehillim begins, You have to give thanks. You have to be grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have to give, you have to have that gratitude aspect. And this we see, I want to give a few examples on this gratitude to take this beautiful, beautiful, amazing lesson and stay with me. Now, you don't have to stay with me that much. It's not that difficult. But, you know, stay holding. The Pasuk, the first part, we know that Paro is a bad guy, right? By all means, like killing Jewish babies, bathing in their blood, like mass murder, you know, slavery, like all the bad stuff like this guy did. But what was the first thing that the Torah says that, it was, that he did bad? It says, Vayakam el the beginning of Shemos, first chapter of Shemos, verse 8, says, Vayakam el Chadash is a new king that rose in, um, in Egypt. The first negative thing about Paro is that he did not know Yosef. What does that mean he did not know Yosef? The first negative thing is that Paro was someone who was a kafay taif. Paro was someone who lacked gratitude. He was, in, he, was a, he was an ingrate. He was an ungrateful person. Yosef saved Egypt. Yosef saved Paro. Yosef made made the the the, the entire land of Egypt very very prosper, very wealthy. Made it a world power. And Paro did not have the decency to show any, you know, decency to his descendants. This is why it says he did not know Yosef. He didn't, he was not grateful for what Yosef did. The first, the negative thing, the, the main, the like, how everything starts is that Paro was an ingrate. Paro was an ungrateful, ungrateful person. The flip side, you look at Yosef. You know, in Parshas Vayeshev, it says that Yosef was, was trying to be seduced by Potiphar's wife. The Ramban asks a wonderful, amazing question. And that is, Yosef was a lot stronger. He was a very strong young man, a slate. He was working hard. He's got muscles. He was very, very strong. And he had his master's wife try to seduce him. And she grabbed his coat. Do you not think that Yosef had the ability, the power to grab his coat back and run away? Like he knew that if she grabs his coat, it's going to spell a disaster for him. It's not going to be good for him. And the Ramban asks, why is it that Yosef didn't go and just grab the coat back and, and bolt and be like, hey, you know, like I was never here. Like, like he knew the outcome of what would happen. The Ramban answers that Yosef refused to grab the garment back. And that is because he had gratitude. He says, this is my master's wife. How do I go and grab something out of her hand? I can't. He was, he, he had the gratitude. He had the Akarasatov, even though he was a slave in this house, but he still had the Akarasatov for them, his master's wife. And even though that he knew that the outcome is not going to be good for him, he still said, I am not taking any, I'm not taking it back. That is the difference between a Yosef and a Paro, and someone who's grateful and someone who's not grateful. And the Torah tells us, the Medrash, Rabbeinu Bachir goes and quotes a Medrash that says that somebody who goes and is an, ungr- an ingrate, an ungrateful person, he is going to end up denying also the favors that is done by God. Denying, denying God in itself. And this is really, we see in Paro. Paro was an ungrateful person. And what happened? He ended up saying, Who is God that I should listen to? He denied God completely. Because once you're an ingrate, it's such a downward spiral. And we see even another another lesson. We've we'll got two more lessons on gratitude on this. That when Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was raised in the palace, when he grew up, he went out and he saw that there was a Jewish guy getting beaten by an Egyptian. It was a Ish Mitzri Maka Ish Ivri. He was hitting this Jewish, uh, Jewish slave. So Moshe Rabbeinu looked left or right. Okay, so it says that he, that he looked into the future, making sure that nothing comes out of this Egyptian. And he ended up saving this Jew and killing this, this, uh, Egyptian. The next day he goes out again and he sees the guy that he saved, which was none other than Dasan from Dasan and Aviram. He saved Dasan and he sees 
that doesn't now is he's fighting with another with another person. He's fighting with Aviram. They're they're fighting with each other, and one of them was about to hit the other. And Moshe Rabbeinu comes over here and he says, "Wait a minute!" He says, "Russia, Lama Sakareyacha, why are you going to go and hit your friend?" And you know what? What would be a normal response at this point in time? You have your savior. This is where an Egyptian was hitting a Jew. And when they hit a Jew, that's not like a playful little tap and then they go on their way. If an Egyptian starts hitting a Jew, it usually means that's the end of this Jew's life. It's going to go on until there's the end of the Jewish life. So Moshe Rabbeinu saved Dustin's life. So now the save, his savior is coming back and is breaking up a fight. Be like, you know what? Okay, fine. You know, I owe you whatever it is. You know, like, you're right. I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't hit my friend. But what did Dustin respond? He says, wait a minute. He says, oh, you're, you're gonna kill me like you killed, you, you killed the Egyptian? He's like, you know, and, and what Dustin was really saying, he's like, you know what's gonna happen? He says, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell on you. I'm gonna tell on you to the Egyptians. Meaning that the snitch, the tattletaler, the one that caused Moshe Rabbeinu to run away, had to run out of Egypt, was the one that Moshe Rabbeinu saved. Can you have more of an ungrateful person? And this, is something that answered a question that Moshe Rabbeinu had. Moshe Rabbeinu had a question that says, I don't understand. Why is it that the Jewish people deserve to be slaves in Egypt? Why is it? Like Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't get to the point of like, what's the reason? What's the reason that the Jewish people are going into such slavery? And the, the, the question is so much stronger because we know that the Jewish people were on the lowest level of spiritual, uh, spirituality. They were on the 49th level of spirituality, right? We know that they were of They were of They were on the lowest level. They were on the 49th level. But still Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't figure out like what's the reason that the Jewish people are on their 49th level. So you know what was the light bulb? You know what was like, okay, now I know. When Moshe Rabbeinu saw the ungratefulness that's going around, you know what the Pasuk continues afterwards? After this conversation with Moshe Rabbeinu and Dasan Anavira, Moshe Rabbeinu achin noida hadavar. Now the matter is known. What does it mean the matter is known? Now I can understand why the Jewish people are in slavery. If you have ungratefulness, if you're an ingrate, you're just going to keep on spiraling down. Now I know of why the Jewish people are where they are, are where they are today. That shows you the power of being ungrateful. And to take you one final example before we tie it all in in this lesson, that Paro called his advisors, his advisor Bilam Iov and Yisro. They wanted to figure out how to get rid of this Jew problem. Right? It's too much of a Jew problem. Harvard's been trying to work on this. Many universities have been trying to, you know, work on the, you know, the Jew problem through different means, and. Paro wanted to figure out, how do we get rid of the Jew problem? So, Bilam came in, let's throw all the Jewish baby boys into the Nile River. And, Mo, like, and, and Yisro was like, how can you do that? You can't do that. You know, after all that their ancestor Yosef did for Egypt, there's no way that he could be a part of it. He ended up having to run away. But what was the motivation of Yisrael? He was a makertov. He was someone who has gratitude. And as a merit for this, it's interesting. I, I saw this Rabbi Fran brought this down that that this was one of the merits that he had that that his daughter was able to marry Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what it talks about marrying a Moshe Rabbeinu? You're not talking about the best boy in yeshiva. You're talking about this is like the best boy in history, right? You're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. What was the merit that Yisro had? This was one of the merits. He was a maker tov. And you could see this was his personality. When Yisro's daughters, they were going to, with, they were, they were the shepherds. They were taking the cattle to go and, and, and give them to drink by the well. The Midianites, they were picking on them. And Moshe saved them. And when Yisro's daughters explained to Yisro what happened, Yisro was very upset. He's like, wait a minute. He says, you had somebody that saved you? You didn't even bring him home to th- like they should get a proper thing. Like what? Like you should have brought him home. And they were like, no, but he was a fugitive from Egypt and things like that. They were trying to explain. Them. Yisrael was like, no, nonetheless, you should have brought him home. He has deserved to be thanked. He is someone that saved you. And yet he, his essence, Yisrael's essence was a karzatov. He had gratitude. He had, and, and this, this was the, this was a, a personality trait that caused him to have that, that merit, one of the merits that he could have a son-in-law like Moshe Rabbeinu. So, you know, this is lesson number five. Lesson number five is realizing that everything that God does is for the good. 
But how do you get to that? How do you get to realizing that everything that Hashem does is for the good? That's by being a Maker Tov. The way that you start seeing that everything that happens is for the best is by start seeing the best. By start seeing and appreciating everything that God does for you. You know, it's, it, this is all lessons on, on switching our mindset. You want to be able to see the lessons in life? Then you have to realize that everything that God does is for the good. So your defenses are a little bit, you're, are down. You're able to see things the, in the way that they should be seen. But how do you get to that? You have to have gratitude. You have to start going and start focusing and thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thanking God, saying Mizmer going and saying five things that you're grateful to, God, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu every single day. The, the more gratitude that you have, the more that you'll be able to see that everything that God does is for the best. And the more that you're able to see that everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is actually good, the Shema Yisrael Hashem and Hashem Achad, it all, the bad and the good, there's two straps that fell in, they both stem from one source, the, the, they both come from one origin, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that is that everything is good, then you'd be able to start, you're taking this blindfold off your eyes, and you'll be able to see things in a different light. And this is why we have so many lessons that just get thrown in our face and we are completely like confused or we don't see it because we are blinded by so many of these layers that we just have to uncover. And this particular layer of lesson number five is of Hakar Satov, of realizing that everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is for the best. And let's finish up with the final lesson. And that is lesson number six. The plague of Barad, of hail, Paro, the Egyptians, they were warned. And they it, it was a very, very simple, simple warning. Everything outside is going to get destroyed. You want to save your stuff. You want to save your people. You want to save whatever animals you have, whatever animals you bought, whatever thing you have left. Bring it inside. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, at this point, in all his warning, he was right on everything. His track record is 100% accurate. Right? It is not the weather report where like, okay, it could work either way. This is 100% accuracy every single time. So if you get a lesson, if you get a message, why didn't the people listen? Why didn't Paro go and Paro listen? And the, the Pasuk tells us, Those that feared God, they brought their cattle there inside. They brought whatever they had inside. Their servants inside. Those that didn't fear God, they left whatever they had, uh, you know, they left out of the, whatever they had outside. And the matter tells us, fear God was Eif, those who, who, uh, um, who did not, uh, fear God is referring to, uh, referring to Bilam. Uh, we're, we're talking about over here the seventh Makkah, the seventh plague over here. Like, what is it that, like, blinded people not to go and just like, take precaution, at least take precaution? And the answer is, they did not take the word of Shem to heart. You know, people have the ability to shut themselves off. From message. The messages that a person could get slapped in the face with a message and they could still not see it. They could still not, Bilam was this type of person, Paro was this type of person. They can, the message can be so obvious and you can be so blinded. And by the way, I, I, I know people that I've spoken to that the message is so odd and they just can't see it. Even if you tell them exactly what you need to do, it's simple. It's a simple solution. They can't see it. For whatever reason, they cannot see it. Those are people who do not look for the messages. They, they're blinded and they cannot see anything as opposed to people like like Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, we know very little about Moshe Rabbeinu. Remember, a friend brings us down that he brings down from Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg. That we know very, very few details on Moshe Rabbeinu's early life. But one of the first things, in the first 80, early life, by early life, I mean the first 80 years, one of the things that we are told about Moshe Rabbeinu is about the story about the burning bush, where he was walking and he saw a burning bush, and the bush was not getting consumed. And he was like, okay, well, let me look into this. Like, what's going on over here? You know, the less, one of the many lessons that you learn from this is that Moshe Rabbeinu saw something, he's like, wait a minute, he's like, there is something here that I have to uncover. Moshe Rabbeinu was looking for the messages. He was open, his eyes were open to the messages. Paro, his eye, even if the messages came into his face, he was blinded. Bilam, even the message, they, they were just blinded. Sadiqim are looking for the messages. And they see something, they're like, okay, wait a minute. So what should I do from, like, like, so what now? And I believe this is a story from the Rebbe Rebbe. The Rebbe Rebbe once fell down and he didn't get back up, and someone went up to him and says, Rebbe, are you okay? 
He's like, physically, I'm, I am okay, but spiritually, I'm still working on it. And they're like, well, what do you mean by that? We're like, well, God made me fall. So now, like, I have to figure out, like, why is it that God made me fall? Like, I have to figure out there's a reason for it. Like, anything that happened, they were looking for the messages. Y- Yosef, he smelled the spices by the people that he was sold to as a slave. Yosef, coming from the ship, they caught, coming from the, the, you know, the, the, tr- the 12 tribes. He was, you know, that's royalties. Yaakov Avinu, Avram Avinu, like leaders of generation. Yitzhak Avinu, th- this is where he comes from, and he's sold to the lowest level. You know what he was still able, he was still able to see messages because he was looking for it. And that is lesson number six. Lesson number six, you want to see messages? The most obvious lesson is look for them. And if you look for them, maybe you'll be able to see them. So let's do a quick recap and then we'll open up to uh, questions. So we started off saying that, you know, God sends us many messages. Some are obvious, some are not less obvious, some are difficult to be able to see. And there are many opportunities in our life to improve. We have the ability to go and become better. We have the ability to fix our relationships. We have the ability to fix our, our businesses. We have the ability to be better parents. We have ability, abilities, abilities upon abilities to be able to improve. But sometimes we are completely oblivious to the signs of, and, the, and the guidance that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us. So the focus of today was how do we go and get those those messages a little bit clearer to be able to go and to be able to uncover those messages and to be able to improve our life and to be able to improve our relationships and to be able to improve ourselves and everything surrounding us by seeing what our Kaddish Baruch Hu is sending us and working in that in that in that manner. And we went through seven six lessons. Lessons. Lesson number one, a prerequisite for any change, is that of humility. If you want to be able to change, you gotta be humble. There is no way about. If you're arrogant, if you're stubborn, if you're stuck up, whatever, you're not going to be able to change. Prerequisite number one is work on humility. Lesson number two. Lesson number two is to realize that you don't know everything. Because if you think you know everything, you'll never change. You think you know everything, you're thinking you're the smartest, you're God's gift to you matter, you're never going to change. But if you realize, you know what, I don't know something. And even when I think I know something, eh, maybe I don't know it fully. So that is an opening that all of a sudden you start opening your eyes, okay, maybe I need to do something a little bit different, maybe I need to improve, maybe I need to fix, maybe I need to change. Lesson number three is to utilize your strength. We all have strengths. And this is really, this is, this really, this bonus lesson of lesson number three is something that, that is, you could utilize all the other lessons to focus on this one as well. We have many, many different character traits. And some of them, we, you know, if we were to list it, we would list some as positive pros and some as cons as negative. But in essence, we're able to utilize every character trait for our benefit. And we have to be able to figure out how to go and use a negative of what we think is a negative character trait for the benefit. But the main focus and how to get to that is to realize that you have to connect yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you're connected to God, Shema Yisrael Hashem and Hashem if you're connected to that one source, that one power, then you would be able to guide yourself and be like, hey, wait a minute. So what is the correct way to be able to utilize this strength or this weakness and turn it into a strength? That's lesson number three, the bonus lesson. Lesson number four is that you have to focus on the short-term goals and the long-term goals because the way that we see things is all depending on our mindset. If our mindset is only for here and now, we would only look for things here and now. If your mindset is only to party, to be merry, for tomorrow you may die. So you're only focusing on now. But if you're focusing on the short-term goal and you're focusing on the long-term goals, different opportunities, different different things would 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 open up that you would be able to see and you'd be able to uncover and you'd be able to tackle on. That was lesson number four. Lesson number five is connected to lesson number two. And that is to realize that number one, when you don't know something, to also realize that everything Baruch Hu does, everything God does is for the, is for the best. Everything, everything is good. And how do you work on that? How do you work on realizing and seeing that everything that God does is for the best? And that is by focusing on gratitude, by, be, by having a karasatov. And that brings us to the final lesson, which is really connected to to the origin of this whole uh of this whole class and that is if you want to see the life on on and 
when Dustin went out to part of the slave labor to, to work out on the field, to work, to, he left his home. The Egyptian came to his house pretending to, be, it was still in the night, pretending to be Dustin and to try to be with his, with his wife. When Dustin, uh, you know, found out about this, that was the fight that the Dustin had with the Egyptian. He found out about it. And, uh, um, so that's when Moshe Rabbeinu killed the, this Egyptian. But Dustin, uh, Dustin now was discussing divorcing his wife and Avir and the brother-in-law didn't want to divorce her life. And that was the argument that they were having back and forth. And that's when Moshe Rabbeinu went and says, Rosh we almost went and he hit the uh, uh, when he hit one another. Oh, okay, what is the name of the website to um, uh, to do mitzvahs for Israel? So that is uh, nationpause.org. Nation on pause. I'm sorry. Nation on nation on pause.org. So that's n a t i o n o n p a u s e dot org. Uh, if you uh, can't find it, you could um, reach out to me and I will. Um, and I will, what's it called? And I will, uh, you know, send it to you. Okay. Uh, regarding if he had to divorce or if he didn't have to divorce or the, the halachic ramification of it is, is different, but that's, that was what, what his uh, intention, uh, uh, was at that point. But, okay. Anyways, thank you all, uh, for joining until, uh, next time. May you have amazing, 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 successful week. And before we completely finish off, let's just say one uh, chapter of Tehillim. Uh, this is for Israel, for the soldiers, for the hostages, for just people in Israel. We say, as usual, chapter 130, Kuflamid. And uh, everybody should say it's a long, even if you're listening to it on a recording. Shiram alois, mimam akim, Achenu kol beis Yisrael, hanesunim batzara uvashivya, haimdim bein bayam uvein bayabasha, hamakam yirachim alehem v'yaitziem mitzara l'ervacha, umafela le'ayra, umishibud legeula, hashta bagala uvizman kariv v'neimar. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.